Today's sermon text is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Please stand for the reading of the word. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How you go ahead and grab your seats. Erwin, thanks for reading God's Word this morning. It's good to be with you. My name is Justin, one of the pastors here. And I know I said this last week uh, because some college students were back last week, but the rest of you that weren't here, so grateful that you're back. I hope your first week of class went well this week. It's good to all be back together uh, to worship the Lord this morning. Let's go to him in prayer as we jump into his Word. Father, I pray that this morning that your name would be made much of. Father, I pray this morning that your name would be exalted and lifted up. And as we dive back into the book of Hebrews, I pray that you would continue to cultivate within us a heart of worship, where our heart and our mind, our attention and our affections would be set on you. Would you use your preached word today to cultivate that within us? And Lord, may this just be a meal in the diet of the preaching of your word that would continue to help bring about new life and transformed lives. As we feast on your word this morning, would you nourish our souls and direct us towards you? We ask you, Holy Spirit, to do a work today. We need you to show up today, God, to do a work in us so that you might do a work through us. And so we give you this time, we submit it to you, we humble ourselves before you, and pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, Amy and I used to have a dog. And uh, her name was Addie, and she was the breed of dog she was is a Vishla. So if you're not a dog person, a Vishla is kind of like a Weimaraner, which if you're not a dog person, you may not know what that is either. But they're essentially short-haired pointers. She's a Hungarian short-haired pointer, kind of a rust-colored coat, uh, about medium size, full of energy. Well, because Vishlas are natural pointers, they're often trained to be bird dogs. And so she is, if she had trained her, she'd want to go out and hunt and, and just kind of innate within her. She has the desire to hunt and find things and, and point at them outside. And because she had a ton of energy, we had to take her on two walks every day or else she would go crazy and then we would go crazy because of that. But whenever Addie would be on a walk and would see a squirrel outside, she would freeze. That's what pointers do. They freeze. She kind of points, lifts that leg up. It just freezes like that. That's what a pointer dog does. She'd focus in on it. And then slowly she'd creep towards that squirrel. And when she felt like she was within striking distance, she would take off. And if you were still holding on to her leash, your arm might almost feel like it'd get ripped off. And at times she'd be off leash running around. And there were a few moments where if she saw a squirrel, she almost got to that squirrel faster than it could get up the tree. The thing about it, though, is that you couldn't do anything to distract her. You couldn't do anything to distract her away from her intended goal. 
It was like her ears were stopped, she had blinders on, and all she could see in that moment was what she wanted, was to get to that squirrel. It's all she cared about. She had a laser focus. Well, you and I find ourselves living in the midst of 2018 in a world of distraction. The world of distraction. Some of you are probably distracted right now. This is your opportunity to stay focused. You have sermon notes, you can take those. But so we can be distracted by so many different things in our life. There's so many things that are constantly clamoring, both for our attention and our affection. For our attention and our affection. And when it comes to the Christian life, all of those same distractions that exist in the world that we find ourselves in pull us away. They pull us away from the life that Jesus has for us and the life he's calling us to. Now these distractions sometimes can be good things. They're just not the best things. They could be periods of trial or suffering in our life. They could be moments of temptation and sin. And if we're honest, all of us at times can either feel complacent or defeated or just generally apathetic towards seeing change take place in our lives, seeing it take place in our hearts and our minds so that we might faithfully walk in and live in the way that Jesus would call us to as we journey with him. Well, today we're jumping back into the book of Hebrews. We've been in the book of Hebrews now for almost a year. We took a little bit of a break over kind of the Christmas season, New Year's season, but we're jumping back into the book of Hebrews, into chapter 12, as Erwin just read. And the book of Hebrews, just by way of reminder, is a letter written to a small, struggling church. A small, struggling church that was made up of mostly recent Jewish converts. They had just started following Jesus, believing that he is who he said he is and did what he said he came to do, that he is the Messiah, the promised one, who would rescue them from their sin so that they might be in relationship with God. But they've just started following him, and in the midst of following him, they find themselves facing trial and persecution. And in the midst of facing this trial and persecution for following Jesus, they're also tempted to wander away from Jesus. They're tempted to be distracted by other things that the world would offer to them. And in this letter, the author has sought to continually and consistently show them that Jesus is better. He's better than anything the world offers or promises to them. And though this letter was written many, many years ago, that hasn't changed. Here in 2018, even today, Jesus is still better But the reality is you and I still need help remembering that. We still need help cultivating a heart that would live accordingly. Because you and I need help to have focus in a world of distraction. Well, today we're going to look at one of the most encouraging and helpful texts of Scripture to do that, to help us be focused. And it's it's a great refreshing truth when it comes to living a faithful life in Christ. So no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey with Jesus, and and I know that a lot of you are in a lot of different places right now. Some of you are walking faithfully with Christ. You're enjoying time in his word. You're enjoying fellowship. Others of you are struggling right now to have a desire to spend time with God, to have a desire to walk in faithfulness, to sing the songs we sing, to worship. You're, You're legitimately struggling in your faith. But all of us, no matter where we find ourselves on that journey, all of us at some level face distraction. All of us struggle with different forms of distraction. 
And so my prayer for this morning is that God would use this time in his word to help all of us, no matter where we find ourselves, to move forward in faith, to move forward on the race that's marked out for you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus for your salvation, first off, just know that we are so glad that you're here this morning. So thankful that God brought you to gather with us this morning. And I hope that today that you'll begin to truly see, maybe for the first time, who Jesus is. Now, but not only who he is, but what he's come to do. And that what he's come to do is for you and it's available to you. And the life that he calls you to, while not easy, is a life full of joy and hope. So let's get into Hebrews chapter 12 this morning and may God bless the preaching of his word. As we jump into this text, we see a key word that is hugely significant for the rest of our time, not only in these two verses today, but really for the rest of the book of Hebrews. This is another kind of hinge text where we're kind of pivoting off of everything that's come before, and he uses that word, therefore. And it kind of has a couple of different things in mind here. He's thinking about what just came in, the, in chapter 11 as we've walked through this kind of, this hall of faith as he's talked about all these men and women that have believed God, they've taken God at his word. But he also has in mind the whole book of Hebrews so far where he has sought to tell us that Jesus is better. And so he says, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And what is he saying here? What does that mean? This cloud of witnesses aren't just any faithful followers of Christ. He is referring in this moment to that specific group of people that he's just been talking about in chapter 11. Now, when he says that they're surrounding us like a cloud, they're kind of, uh, there's kind of just all around us like a cloud would be all around you as witnesses. He isn't saying so much that they're sitting around us watching our lives like a fan would in the crowd at the Super Bowl. It's not like they're sitting in a stadium. Now, some scholars could think that, like they're just kind of hanging out in their bleacher seats, like looking at you, like, hmm, wonder what they're going to do next. Now, they could be doing that. We don't exactly know, but that's not really the point of what he's trying to communicate here. What he's saying here, what he means by this, is that their lives testify. They stand up and they testify to a life of faith in the faithfulness of God. They, they witness to us, they speak about it by how they've lived. We're surrounded by them spiritually, we're surrounded by them in story. You and I can look at their lives. We can see that they believed God. They took him at his word and then lived their lives accordingly to that. Even in the midst of challenge and trial and suffering and struggling with sin along the way. Now the term witness here actually took on the notion of being a martyr. That when someone was called a witness, oftentimes what was associated with that was martyrdom. They actually died for their faith. In fact, what we see here is that the picture we have is that they clung to their faith rather than their life in certain moments, in certain instances, because they so believed God. So then what the author is getting at is that you and I, as we seek to live with faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen, we can be encouraged. We can be encouraged by their faith. And you and I now can do the same as they did. We can continue to move forward in faith, even as we encounter trials and struggles of various kinds. 
See, these verses are bringing chapter 11 home to us in a very real and personal way because these men and women stand as monuments, as markers of faith along the way in our own journey. And a journey is exactly what we are in and what we're on. Later in verse 1, it says that there's a race that we're running, a race that's been set out before us. And we call our church Sojourn Church because we believe that we are on a spiritual journey. This place is not our home. We're just passing through. So the reality for us in this is that we're looking forward to the fullness of the kingdom of God. We're looking forward to the new city where we will be face to face with our God. But right now we find ourselves in process on this journey along the way. And as we travel this journey, it can be difficult at times. It will be difficult and challenging at times. And so this serves as a loving reminder to you. It serves as a loving reminder to me that if you are in Christ, you are not alone. You are not alone. Many have gone before you, and many have completed the journey. And now they stand as witnesses to you to continue along the way. And so he says, since this is true, since this reality exists, we are called and able to do three things. And these will be our three remaining points. Remove, run, and focus. Remove, run, and focus. In the rest of verse 1, we see this idea of removing something. He says again, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us also, just like they did, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now something that's about to happen in our world that's super exciting is the Winter Olympics, right? Anybody excited about the Winter Olympics? A couple, all right, yeah, it starts up in uh, a week or so, a couple of weeks, I guess, um, in South Korea. It's going to be an awesome time just watching all the nations come together to compete in the Winter Olympics. Well, in the giant slalom or super G downhill skiing or the luge or bobsledding, what do those athletes wear? They wear pretty sheer clothing, right? Like it doesn't, I mean, it's cold outside and it looks like they're not going to stay very warm by what they're wearing, wearing. But why do they do that? to cut down on resistance, to reduce resistance. And so when the author here says lay aside every weight, he's talking about removing resistance, removing anything that would hinder you from moving forward, remove any encumbrance in your life that would keep you from running that race. In fact, in the early times when this was written, when the, the Olympic Games were being held and they, the runners would actually strip down to either nothing or almost nothing because they didn't want anything to keep them from being as fast as they possibly could. Things that would slow you down. He's calling them to run this race, run the race you're on, move forward in faith. And he doesn't want anything to get in the way of our running. Now here's the key with this. When he talks about laying aside, removing these weights, this doesn't mean that it necessarily is something that's explicitly sinful. It could even be a good thing. It's just not the best thing. So what might some of your weights or encumbrances or hindrances be? It could be entertainment, TV, movies, video games. It could be exercise. Maybe sports, whether you're watching sports or reading about sports or watching SportsCenter again for the fifth time, even though they're saying the same thing again. It could be a 24-hour news cycle, right, that we can turn on and watch the news. We can read different news stories. Shopping. 
man, I would guess for a lot of us generationally, social media falls in that category. That we spend a whole lot of time on Facebook and Instagram. It might even be a certain person or a group of people. See, we need to understand that weight or an encumbrance or a hindrance to some person might not be the same for somebody else. Just because it's that way for you doesn't mean it's that way for somebody else. But it's anything that is distracting you. Anything that is causing you to veer off course in the life that God is calling you to walk in. Anything that's causing you to stop or stumble in running altogether. So in order to figure out if it's a weight to be removed, if it's a weight to be laid aside, we can ask ourselves a few questions. Is this particular thing a help or a hindrance to me spiritually? Is this particular thing a help or a hindrance to me spiritually? Is it helping me grow in Christ-likeness? See, a lot of times what we end up doing is we want to ask the question, is this wrong or right? Is it sin or is it not? But maybe the question we should be asking is, is it, is it in the way of greater faith? Is it in the way of a greater love for God and for others? Does it help me run the race? As one pastor says very bluntly, Hebrews 12:1 is a command to look at your life, think hard about what you're doing, and get ruthless about what stays and what goes. I would encourage you even this week just to take some time to think and journal and pray and talk in community about what those weights or hindrances might be that God is calling you to remove and lay aside. Hindrances weigh us down, but sin entangles our feet to take us down, which is the second part of this. He says, don't just remove the weight, remove the sin that clings so closely. In James 1, James tells us that sin leads to death. Sin ensnares us like the vines and the upside down and stranger things. Right? Like it, it just is wrapping itself around you, and it's not wrapping itself around you to slow you down. It's wrapping itself around you to kill you, to choke the life out of you. Then it says it clings so closely, it's attached, it's lurking, waiting, it's within, it's like dust, it's everywhere. And it's just there, it seems to be there, and it's present, it's overt at times, it's subtle at other times. And we saw this in the lives of those who went before. Sin often sought to destroy them, but faith enabled them to rise above that and to continue to move forward, to repent and persevere. So what are the sins that distract and take you off course? Of course, you could think of the big ones, right? Sexual immorality, lying, stealing, cheating. But what about the subtle or acceptable sins? The things that society and culture say are okay, even in the church, that maybe we choose to ignore rather than root out. Things like gossip, you're avoiding conflict, and factions and division, deception at any level, laziness, greed, pride, arrogance, having a critical spirit, control, a desire for approval, a desire for power, a lack of mercy, a lack of love, any of those things. We're supposed to remove them, and we are called to remove sin in this way because of the reality of what we learn in Hebrews chapter 3, that sin is deceitful, and it's deadly. 
Sin, sin woos you. It promises you things, but it lies to you all along the way. It's like the siren call in the Odyssey, drawing you closer and closer, only to be dashed on the rocks, destroyed. So brothers and sisters, looking at this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we are clear about this. Remove anything. Remove anything that is keeping you from faithfully following Jesus. Because only when you're free from hindrances, only when you're free from entanglements, can you keep running and moving forward. Which leads to our next point of action. Run. Run. Run the race. Run the race that's set before you. See, this is important for the practical realities of our lives. Our our culture tells us to make plans, right? Make plans, make goals, be ambitious, know where you're going with your life. You need to know what the next five years, 10 years, 15 years look like for your life. And in and of itself, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's helpful to think ahead. It's helpful to plan. But they don't acknowledge a key fact. The key fact is this. You are not sovereign over your life. You are not the master planner of your life. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Or as one scholar says, many Christians spend far too much effort trying to figure out what lies ahead when our calling is to persevere in faith wherever God should lead us. That's what God's calling you to. In other words, you are not always going to know what God is up to. You're not always going to know what he's doing in the midst of your life. And I would say especially so when you're in the midst of trial. Especially so when you're in the midst of difficulty or struggle or suffering. We're not promised tomorrow. But what we do know is we know God. He's revealed himself to us in his word. He's revealed his will and his ways to us in his word. He's called us to how now we should live in light of who he is and who Christ is. And he calls us now and is in the process of conforming us more and more to the image of Christ, our Savior. So how do you think about your life? When you think about your life, is it mostly about where you live or what you do? what your family situation is, what you have, what you don't have, what you hope to have. The author of Hebrews is showing us that this is how we should conceive of our life. If you are in Christ, you belong to this noble company of God's people. You live in the world, but not of the world. You live in this world, but you glorify God through faith in it. So the call to run The race that is set before you is a call to conform to the pattern of faith, not the pattern of this world. So what is the purpose of your life? The world will fill that in for you. They'll fill that blank in for you with all kinds of things. The world is constantly preaching to you. It's constantly telling you what your meaning in life is and what your purpose in life is, whether that be status or stuff or relationships finding your identity in your career or your degree, any of those things. The world says this is the purpose of your life, but God is clear to us. He tells us the purpose for your life is to grow in grace and glorify me. Grow to become more like Jesus and glorify me with your life, no matter where you find yourself on the journey, whether you're younger or older, 
whether you're single or married, whether you're with kids or without kids, whether you have a little or you have a lot. Grow to become more like Christ and glorify me. But see, here's the thing. We could take all that as followers of Christ and say, okay, great, I get that. Yes and amen to that. But see, our culture that we live in, it's so built on hype. And it's built on the next exciting thing. Right? So we, we, we find something exciting and we're all excited about it until it's not exciting anymore. And then we move on to the next exciting thing. We get all excited about that until it's not exciting anymore. And we just keep moving along. But what Hebrews 12.1 tells us is that the Christian life, true life, is not fueled by excitement. It's not fueled by enthusiasm. It's fueled by endurance. It's fueled by endurance. And that is the kind of running the author is calling us to. Endurance running. In April, on April 21st, 1980, Rosie Ruiz crossed the finish line at the Boston Marathon. And she did it in a pretty impressive time. 26.2 miles, she finished in just over two and a half hours. And she looked like she was the fittest athlete ever, ever. She was uh, not sweating very much. Her hair was still pretty much styled. And she didn't seem very fatigued after having just run 26.2 miles. And so she was crowned with the winning medal, and it was pretty amazing because she actually said, man, I'd only just started training to run this marathon about 18 months ago by running around Central Park in New York. And, and I've only run one other marathon, and that was the New York Marathon. In, which, in that race, her time was pretty impressive, a little bit slower, but still pretty impressive. Ruiz made winning a marathon look easy, and it was using her signature strategy. She didn't run the whole thing. As officials were suspicious and began to look into Ruiz's almost record fitness, witnesses started to come forward and said, actually, uh, I saw her jump into the race about a mile before the end. Like, can you imagine that? Like, everybody's just huffing, puffing all the way, and she's just like, all right, let me jump in here at the front of the pack. Like, she wasn't even like, I'll come in like 20th. No, she wanted to win the thing. So she crosses the line, gets crowned with that. Well, once they figured that out, the New York Marathon officials looked into her finish there and found that she had used a similar strategy. This time she took the subway. Man, she wanted the glory. She wanted to cross that finish line, but she didn't want to put in the effort and the work to get there. Brothers and sisters, there are no shortcuts to running the race of the Christian life. There are no shortcuts to running the race that is before you, and the race that we are in is not the 200-meter dash. It's an ultramarathon. As one pastor puts it, the Christian life, the life of discipleship, of following Jesus, is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And it takes discipline and effort and endurance to move forward and stay the course. Paul reiterates this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, he says. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. If we're honest about our spiritual lives, often, not always, 
but often, if we aren't growing spiritually, it's not because we don't know what to do or how to do it. It's because we're careless and haphazard, spiritually lazy, negligent. We won't ask someone else for help. When there are weeds in my yard or my flower bed at home, they aren't there because I don't know how to get rid of them. They're there because I know how to get rid of them, but I don't do anything to get rid of them. Often we're more intentional with planning and setting our fantasy football teams, planning our grocery list, planning our workouts, planning our vacation, planning our weekends, planning our social media posts than we are training ourselves for godliness and running the race that's before us. Run, he says. Don't stroll. He doesn't say meander. He doesn't say wander around aimlessly. He says run. Now, running is different for every person. Some people can run faster than others, right? But the point is that you're running. The point is that you're moving forward with a focus, with a speed, and we can run because we know there's a finish line. We can run towards that finish line because you already know what it is. You can run because you know who it is. And that's the most important part. See, if the author stopped right here, if he ended right here at the end of verse 1, then my guess is that a lot of us would be encouraged and maybe even motivated. It's the beginning of the year. Only about a month in, I, I can get my act together and some coming up with a, a plan of spiritual discipline. I'm going to get some accountability. I'm going to get moving. I'm making resolve to run with endurance. I'm not messing around anymore. And, and those could be good things. But if that's all we do, if that's all you do, sooner or later you will falter and fail and become discouraged, flustered along the way. Because, man, the journey's hard, and the journey's long. Maybe some of you this morning already hearing this aren't feeling a whole lot of motivation, but you actually feel defeat because in your mind you're thinking, man, I've done this so many times before, and I never seem to do it well. never seems to work out. I mean, I've been there many times in my life, even as a pastor. But here's why that happens. The simple reality is that you cannot do this alone. You cannot do this alone. You cannot accomplish this by your own drive. You cannot accomplish this by your own willpower. But your temptation in a self-made world is going to be to try and do just that. To take all of this and say, all right, I've got to get work. I've got to get to work. I've got to do these things. But that's why the life-changing reality of Hebrews 12.1 needs the life-changing reality of Hebrews 12. Two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our last call to action in this text is to focus. This is the how of removing the weight and sin that clings so closely so that you can run with endurance the race that's marked out for you. 
See, this montage of faithful men and women that have gone before, looking forward in faith, taking God at his word, they're helpful, they're encouraging, but they didn't run perfectly. Only one has done that in complete faith and faithfulness. Only one has run the race perfectly, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, the founder of our faith, the pioneer, the champion, the one who was and is and is to come, the word of God made flesh. The word of God through whom all things were made, the radiance of the glory of God, the image of the invisible God who holds all things together, the very son of God who reconciles all things to God by making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, the finisher, the one who with joy set before him. Joy that he'd be united with the Father again in perfect fellowship with joy knowing that by faith you would be there with him too. He willingly went to the cross despising its ridicule, despising its shame and the mockery of nakedness and insults and pain and abandonment. Why? To purchase your freedom and your forgiveness so that you might be with him forever. Jesus who endured so that you might endure. The one who endured so that we might have life now and forever. Jesus in whom all the promises of God find their yes and amen. Jesus who is now seated at the right hand of the very throne of God interceding for you. Advocating for you who's sitting next to the throne of God right now, instructing and empowering you through the work of his spirit, who does a freeing work. What do we learn in man school, guys, right? The Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. God does that. Jesus does that. But how do we see change take place in our life? What does the rest of that verse say? By beholding the glory of the Lord, we're transformed to his image. He's freeing, he's overcoming, he's redeeming, he's restoring, and he invites you to that very same throne throne, because he has declared, it is finished, and I will make all things new. Jesus. So listen, if you want to remove hindrances, and you want to remove entangling sin, look to Jesus. If you want to run the race that is set before you, look to Jesus. Our gimmicky world wants to sell you secrets and shortcuts for everything. It's a whole market. Secrets to losing weight fast. Secrets to putting on muscle. Secrets to success. Secrets to get rich quick. Even so-called Christian books and teachers who want to offer you quick methods to following Jesus, quick methods and means to have a good life now. Friends, if you're looking for a secret to the Christian life, it's right here in this phrase. Looking to Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus. This isn't a a quick glance. It's not the occasional head nod towards Jesus. This is about a, a fixation on him. What this text implies is that it's impossible for you to look in two directions at once. We don't have chameleon eyes, right? right? We're like one eye's looking this way and one eye's looking this way. But sometimes we act like we do. 
Like, I can keep looking to Jesus, but I can keep doing this other thing over here. No, he's saying, fix your eyes, laser focus on Christ. Why? Because Jesus and Jesus alone can set you free from slavery to sin to be a sojourner by faith. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, very simply put, is a picture of repentance and faith. Throwing off sin and looking to Jesus. Throwing off sin by looking to Jesus. See, too often we might recognize the hindrances. We can answer those questions. We might recognize the entanglements to sin in our life. But we seek to resolve them by our own means and methods. And that is not the gospel. So don't look to self. Look to Jesus. Don't look to sin. Look to Jesus. Don't focus on yourself. Focus on Jesus. When this truth radically revolutionized my own life, I had utilized lots of the means of grace that God has given to us over the years to be a good Christian. Even when I was on staff at a large church. But what I hadn't understood or realized is that the same grace that saves me is the same grace that enables me. Enables me to walk in faith. Enables me to be faithful. In doing all the right Christian things, I had missed my Christ. But when God showed me that the key to the Christian life is having a laser focus on Jesus so that I might remove weights, so that I might remove sin, so that then I might run the race before me, it changed everything for me. Things that I saw in my life that I was not able to overcome, God began to take the power away because my focus wasn't on those things, it was focused on Christ. But man, I still need to be reminded of this each and every day because I still get distracted. There's still things that pull me off track. There are still sins that I battle against in my own life. I need to be reminded on a regular basis that God is calling me to be before he's calling me to do. He's calling me to abide before he's calling me to produce. And so often I get that backwards. Maybe some of you are in the same place this morning. And my prayer for you, for all of us, is that God would use this truth to revolutionize your own life of what it looks like to know Christ and follow him. Some of you, though, have never actually looked to Jesus by faith. Maybe you've even been around the church for a while or you've called yourself a Christian for a long time. But you know, if you take an assessment of your life that you've just kind of been playing the part. You haven't trusted it to him, believing that he lived for you and died the death that you deserve to die for your rebellion. You've believed the lie that you are fine on your own. And if that's you this morning, I just want to implore you and plead with you to look to Jesus today in faith. Trust in him, even if it's for the first time, to believe that he died for your sin and rebellion and rose again to give you life. And when you place your faith in him, he will change your life forever. It doesn't mean life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean everything is going to go great for you. But you have eternal life. You will be with the living God forever and ever. Trust in him today. We believe everyone's on a spiritual journey. But we want you to journey with us as we journey with and to Jesus. Be a sojourner, not a slave. As a church, what does it look like for us in a world of distraction 
to have a laser focus on Jesus. How do we do this? Will we do utilize the tools God has given to us to foster ongoing repentance and faith? We read God's word. We soak in God's word. We memorize God's word. I mean, I love that some 35 or 40 guys just finished memorizing about 11 passages of scripture in man school. And this semester, which we just started today for man school, we're memorizing all of Psalm 19. Men, soak in God's word, but not just so that you can check a box off, not just so you can say, well, I read God's word, but so you see Jesus in it. That everything in the scripture screams out to you the name of Christ. You would focus back on him again. You spend time in prayer. Man, isn't it amazing to you that we have a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God? That you can bring anything before him and ask him to work in the midst of your life in this world? Why? Because of Jesus. Because through Christ, he's reconciling all things to himself and will make all things new. We can come before him, approaching the throne of grace for time of need, in time of need for mercy and grace and help because of Jesus, our great high priest. We gather with God's people. We sing. We receive God's preached word. We pray together. We stand with one another. We take communion together. We are with one another in the presence of the family of God to point us back to Jesus. Be reminded of the grace of the gospel as we preach it to ourselves and to one another. Not only when we gather on a Sunday morning, but all throughout the week as well. See, this is where the discipline we talked about earlier comes into play. And again, as we've read in man school, discipline without direction is drudgery. Discipline without direction is drudgery. But church, from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we have direction. We have a destination, and his name is Christ. And he's calling us to Christ-likeness. Listen, don't try and go it alone. We desperately need God's grace, and we desperately need one another in this journey. This is not a solo endeavor. God didn't design it that way. So invite others in. Invite others along. Be honest with where you're at, because sometimes where you're at is you need somebody to throw you on their back to carry you a little, lo- a little along the way. Your leg's cramped up. Your foot's cramped up. You've tripped and fallen. And you just need somebody to pick you back up. We have to be willing to open up our mouths and our lives to one another. And then to look around and see our brothers and sisters that are struggling and pick them up and carry them a little ways as we continue to run to Christ. We all, myself included, need encouragement to keep moving forward in faith because the world around us is constantly calling you to place your hope and place your faith in something else. Are you weak this morning? Are you tired? Are you unsure? Are you unable? It's okay. Jesus is enough. Friend, will you believe today that the things that Jesus promises are better than the bad habits and worldly methods you use to cover up your sadness? To hide your uncertainty? We must and can run the race that is set before us with endurance in this broken down world because Jesus endured for us. So where are you struggling? Where are you straying now and right now? Where are you distracted? Fix your eyes on Jesus. His mercies are new every morning. In a world of distraction, may we as God's people have a laser focus on Jesus, our great high priest and faithful king who will come again 
to bring you all the way home. And then may we stand with the Apostle Paul, saying with him, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and hear the words of our God, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, find your rest in me. One of the means of grace that God has given to his church to help us to have a laser focus on Jesus is the corporate taking of communion. We gather together as a church family. None of us are called to do this in isolation. We can't. You cannot be a follower of Christ and not be connected to his church. And one of the things we do is we gather together to sing. We gather together to receive God's word. And we gather together to take communion, to be encouraged by it. It's the first act of response to the preaching of God's word, our first application to the sermon, because in eating the bread and drinking the cup, we are reminded and spiritually refreshed that Christ's body was broken for you, that Christ's blood was shed for you. So this is an opportunity, once again, to repent and believe. It's an opportunity, once again, to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. And so I'd encourage you as a follower of Christ this morning to examine your heart, confess your sin, lay aside the things that would weigh you down and run to the table. Run to the table is a demonstration of running to Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter of your faith. And for those of you that are not followers of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward to communion. The reason for that is everything I just said. If you don't yet believe that, if your hope isn't yet in Jesus, we don't want you to take the bread and take the cup. We want you to take Jesus. So just hang out in your seat. Pray this morning that God would save you from your sin. Place your faith in Christ. And then let somebody around you know that you want to trust Jesus and start following Jesus so we can help you understand what that looks like and we can journey with you in that. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the back. And what Christ has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and just thank you for grace. We thank you for grace that saves. And we thank you for grace that enables us. Enables us to walk faithfully with you. So help us, God, move forward with a laser focus on Christ. As we go about our week this week, as we engage in work or schoolwork or with our kids or roommates or family, friends, Lord, help us to have a laser focus on Christ and show us, God, what are the hindrances in our life that you're calling us to lay aside. May we be ruthless with that. Show us, God, those entangling sins and may we not be so laser focused on our sin but on our Savior and run towards him once again. Help us to be men who walk, men and women who walk consistently and live a life of repentance and faith. We need your help. Help us to help one another to do that. We praise your name this morning, and we praise the name of Christ, our Savior and King. We pray all this in his name. Amen.